Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Rosemary Messier. I learned a lot talking about the API lifecycle and governance with Rosemary, and I really enjoyed her flipping the tables on me and interviewing me for the remainder of the show. I always start with the basics. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm Rosemary, um, and I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I work with Summit, um, and I've been working in uh, various different roles, but most recently uh, I'm a PM consultant, uh, but with a very strong technical background that goes down a decade. Um, and I love software engineering still, still a software engineer uh, at heart, but just trying to marry the engineering side and uh, product world as well. Yeah, so what 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 does APIs mean in your world? How do you, how do you see the world of APIs? Uh, talking from my, my experience, it goes back to the days where I started off, you know, writing web services and it's just evolved. Um, and today, you know, we are, I see it uh, as two different things, you know. There are companies that are API driven and there are companies which, you know, APIs are just part of their their work. But I think it's become like a buzzword right now where, you know, everyone has started looking into the values of APIs and, you know, trying to see, you know, how to monetize them and how, how is it that we can share that knowledge, you know, across uh, everyone where you have different platforms. So I guess we are still early days in the API journey, if I may say so. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like all everything... I go back to the SOA, the service-oriented architecture days, web services. But uh, I feel like the last 20 years have just kind of been practice for what's coming up. I feel like now everyone's uh, awoke a little bit to to what's what's what the potential is. But I'm hearing a lot of people talk about um, what's come before is very IT-led. What's happening now needs to be product management, have more business stakeholders involved. Is that jive with how you see the world? Yeah, I think I I totally uh, agree, but it depends on uh, the organization as well. So um, I can say that when you are really venturing out into that um, API journey, it's a different world. Um, The business gets more involved rather than um, the engineering team. And then it's altogether a different game because you're getting strategy, marketing, all the different stakeholders there, you know, trying to have those partnerships. So you're looking at it from a totally different angle rather than, you know, the actual product, API product itself. But there are um, places where, you know, that mindset is changing. You're having that API first mindset and that's completely changing as well. From day one, you're starting to work very closely with your third party um, developers and and partners and trying to, you know, work uh, hand in glove with them and offer that support. So I think it's it's, it's, uh, depending on where you are in that API journey, I think you can say it is heavily IT driven sometimes and it is also the other way. Yeah, I like I like that you use API journey because I I feel like this is one of the distinct characteristics of different a lot of APIs I've seen over the years have been projects 
kind of once you're done, yeah. you, you kind of check that box and you're like, we're done. We did the API. And that's not how modern APIs are done. They're living, they're evolving, or they, they're they sustained in sustain mode, or you're deprecating them and you're constantly moving things forward like that. So it's it's definitely a journey for people. And, and depending on the maturity, how they see the space, they're going to see things differently. And so are you, um, what's, what's the majority of APIs that you've worked with? Is it, is it internal? Is it partner? Is it public? Is, is it a mix of the three all working in concert? I think I have touched, uh, I would say private, public and hybrid. But just to go back to your previous point, sometimes, you know, um, with the private APIs, you treat them as features and uh, rather than as a product and that's where you get uh, stuck because sometimes they never get used and you're just rushing to get uh, this API out for a particular partner which you do not see has value and you start in, you start trying to add more to it and it just goes nowhere right so um, from my experience with private public and hybrid I would say I think um, the way of work, ways of working have are very different for uh, public. You'd understand that as well. So you'll have this larger uh, ecosystem of uh, partners. And my way of working with them is completely different as opposed to you know where you're working with. I've also worked with you know but just on private APIs where you're just treating it as uh, a project as well as a feature. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. know. What what would you say? What would you say that uh, do you see like a pattern where where have you um, you know with the project related uh, work that you've done say on APIs? I'm sure you have done. Where would you see that being treated as a project on the private side, public, or is it like a pattern right across the different APIs? Yeah, I mean it's it's it depends on the organization. I've seen uh, a lot of government agencies do public APIs that were very project driven. They had a budget of kind of finite. We did the thing and then now they're, um, I'm hearing this phrase a lot, they're um, zombie APIs or zombie API portals. Yeah. You know, they're, they're there, but there's nobody home and you can't, you know, if it goes down, it, you know, it may not, not ever come back up. But then I'm also, I would say, if I had to say like, what's the common, it's, it's people, it's kind of a mature, a mix of maturity is like from the inside out is as APIs begin, they begin as kind of microservices or just ad hoc APIs behind one, uh, one mobile app or one web app or one system integration. And then, uh, then, then it starts to get usage. It starts to get traction. It's maybe getting a little bit more budget, a larger team. It matures, it hardens. Then it starts, hey, we have a partner who wants it. Let's can we expose it to them? Expose it. And then it becomes more it, partner program emerges. Maybe it gets hung in a portal. And so that kind of outward facing maturity happens organically. But I think what a lot of companies I'm seeing are desiring is they want to strengthen that muscle and be able to do that confidently, like move API from idea to public uh, external exposure confidently, securely, safely, all of that. And I think that's exactly where product or business needs to step in because um, when you're starting in that idea thing journey, I think you need to see uh, what is the value that you're getting in that 
API, you might start off just as an internal API for another team in your company, but you just never know. You might start exposing the data to an internal team, but then over time, you might then start exposing that to one partner and then that could change your whole world, right? You might start, but then I've noticed that sometimes fundamental problems are uh, different stakeholders don't get involved just when you're starting to create internal APIs. And actually that's the fundamental problem because you need to start at that point in time. The thinking starts right now before you end up in a way where you're having throwaway APIs just because you haven't thought. And I've been in situations like that where you haven't thought that this could explode with time and you are going to have an ecosystem, but that, that's when you're starting to talk about, you know, can I, what, what how, how am I going to handle this? Do I, I mean, it's not the API portal alone, but you've got to look at the infrastructure a lot. To look at the security, you've got to look at everything. And so your whole approach to the problem changes, right? And that's where you start looking at API as a product because a product could be, um, something that everyone could use over time and it's got to have a life cycle and the way that you work with various developers could also change. Yeah, so that, I would say that reflects what I'm seeing is is enterprises wanting to get a, a more well-known common API lifecycle across groups. So that's, that's uh, something that's repeatable. Teams are kind of yeah. on the same page using the same vocabulary tooling. Um, contract driven swagger open API, but it's still in most times, like even the ones that are moving to design first or, or any more mm -hmm. advanced concepts, you say, you know, getting business stakeholders involved, they don't speak swagger or open API. They don't speak JSON schema for modeling. So how do you make this more inclusive to these, these business stakeholders? Yeah. So I say you, you're never going to be lucky having, um, uh, business people who speak technical jargon. So I, I've been lucky that wherever I worked, we've had like technical PMs, you know, everyone is technical. But you never, I've been also in the teams where uh, you really do not understand the language and speak the language. And I think that's where you got to work as a triad because uh, you need a, your counterpart from engineering as well as you need the equivalent on the, on the product or business side, because then you're talking, even if you're trying to draw up a contract, which is whether you use Swagger or anything, irrespective of the tooling, you're, talk, you're, ha you're speaking both languages there. And I think I expect, I've like worked with teams where both parties, so that's my team, as well as um, the third party developer, we, we ensure that our calls do have product as well as engineering. So we are able to, you know, uh, throw in different ideas or different perspectives from both sides. And you're getting everyone's opinion at the end of the day. So it's more um, agile. We try to do it more agile as well. So you keep these conversations going and um, the product team can always step in while the engineering team is also helping business understand what is it that you're trying to achieve with these endpoints. Right. Yeah. So it's not just, you're not just heavily IT driven or business driven at one point in time. Yeah. And I think the more we, we, allow, we expose business stakeholders to this processes, give them a voice in it, give them a seat at the table. Hopefully those are diverse voices. Those aren't just, um, you know, people who are in alignment with, with 
IT or, yeah. you know, just white male, I would even throw out, throw out that, you know, we want to make sure it's a diverse set of stakeholders at the table early on, be, be part of that feedback loop internally. But then once it's opened up to consumers, that feedback loop extends the same way to consumers and you're gathering feedback and that's all a, a, a well thought out process. Yeah. And I think that involvement of stakeholders needs to start early because at every point in time, you would need the relevant stakeholders. I'm not saying that you need to bring everyone in this journey, but I think when you start off, you might need a particular set of stakeholders. Maybe midway through, you'll need a different bunch, right? So I think sometimes I've noticed where it's, we involve um, different stakeholders too, too late in the piece. So that's, that is also a problem. It's like, Try to come out with your, uh, you know, who your stakeholders are right in the beginning and figure out who is it do I need to consult or inform or, you know, work very closely with. When you draw out that, you're obviously going to be bringing in, you know, the diversity that we spoke about. You're going to be more conscious who is going to be involved at what point in time. And then you'll ensure that you've got not just different disciplines, but you are talking about, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion that's that's always challenging but i think you need to take that effort early rather than you know just to tick in the box last at the very end to say hey i've done done my job mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed and i see i'm seeing a wider uh group of people involved i mean we have qa we have security folks we have so it's it's definitely getting to be a more um a, a larger group of stakeholders who are at the table and depending on whether it's public or partner, or those things come in there, but I'm really seeing um, the there's, there's kind of a shift in power that I've seen since the SOA day. So I'm, I'm an old database guy. So hmm. COBOL databases to Fox pro to SQL uh, uh, server, Microsoft. And that was my progression through the eighties and nineties. I'm dating myself now, but um, the database is always a power center in the, in the enterprise. And, and what lit me up about APIs was web services were, were exciting and interesting, but it was once mm. you started seeing that usage of web APIs of HTTP and it was, and they weren't really good APIs. They weren't like, you know, the best designed or, you know, mm -hmm. but they were scrappy web APIs out of social companies and what Salesforce did and Amazon and yeah. eBay and all of these like caught my attention, but it was exposing holes in this power center. That was the database. And I feel like now it's kind of becoming the gateway as well. The API gateway is taking over as this kind of power center where, where the value is transmitted or transacted. And are you seeing um, when it comes to the gateways and API management, are you seeing, a, a centralized or are you seeing a more federated multiple kind of gateway approach across these teams and stakeholders? No. I think uh, once again, I'd say it goes back to the maturity because I've been in teams where you started on a very small scale. You do not want to, you know, um, invest in, uh, you know, API management uh, solutions. You start building out your small mini gateways internally and you, you're just trying out all that. Whereas there are um, um, organizations where they have like a very big ecosystem. And so that's when, you know, the federated and everything else falls in. So it's going to be a, a, a mix, I'd say. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've seen a, a pattern, but I think the more mature you are, 
you would start um, understanding the value in having um, uh, taking a federated approach, having an API management solution, a portal, uh, you know, the gateway, you start seeing through what benefits you're getting from a security point of view. You're also starting to see from an end user point of view, what is it that you're giving the user being your partner or developer as well here. So you, the, the, you're, you're changing the whole scene here because I think that's where I do not see um, companies or organizations, you know, investing a lot in these solutions because they're not mm -hmm. seeing the uh, the big picture or the value that your partners would get. Um, and that's when you do not, like I worked with teams which just went on without any uh, API portals for a long time. Okay, so, uh, and that's that's hard. It gets to a point where you're trying to actually do everything uh, in-house and then you're starting to see a, a massive uh, interest in these um, um, endpoints and APIs that you've built. And then you start, you know, you're just going back, trying to then start thinking about what is it that I can do if uh, with my... Um, current system do i need to start investing no i think it depends on uh, the maturity um I, I don't know what would you say is there is there a pattern now that you've spoken about the world of databases that you've worked in like you that seen i'm sure you may have seen a different yeah, trend with different I'm, types of organizations i mean i'm and you know, there's a couple things in what you just said i would say i would i would say are fairly common to what i'm seeing but i want to make sure i got it right that so you're saying there there has to be this kind of consumer balance to what what's happening via the portal and via these API management to offset the kind of producer like like you have to invest in a portal and 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 become more mature and have up to date docs and and have a feedback loop with your consumers and keep them updated up to date and and have a balance with the consumer side of things otherwise it won't work is was that kind of what you were saying in there I'm saying have a balance. You're, you're partially right. Have a balance, but I'm not saying invest because when you're still trying out, when you're starting, you definitely wouldn't want, business would never invest in, you know, a, um, an API management solution or a portal or investing, you know, put great docs and all that. But have, a, give a thought to it because you're, you're now, you'll probably want, it's like a back, black box that you're working with. So think from a developer, end user point of view, how is it that you can, you know, give them the docs, give them the logs, give them the keys, the tokens, everything without the solution, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you do not think you are going to bump into problems, especially where I work with teams which are, you know, uh, risk and compliance driven, you've got to think because you're not investing in these solutions early days when you're experimenting. So the balance has to be there, but you do not have to do it with sophisticated tools right from the beginning, but a thought has to be given. Once you've got to uh, got to a stage where you've done your POCs and everything, and you know that this is definitely got a, a value prop to it, you definitely need to start thinking about what mm -hmm. would happen in a few years time. So I think that's where going back to our yeah. first point, getting your architect, your engineering team and product is key because what could start as a, a one day, you know, Friday project, could end up changing your yeah. whole API scene. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I would say, you know, back to what I was saying, as far as like some of the common aspects of what you're saying, what I see is even 
I see people who don't have a portal. They, I see the whole mix, um, at diff, er, API early as we would call them, um, in the, in the journey. Um, and then once they start becoming more API aware, they, they hopefully have a strategy in place, as you said, and then they start investing in more tooling, but even the ones who have a portal, um, public or privately, there's, you know, back to the zombie API portal, it's, it's not always up to date. It, it, the most common thing I'm seeing is it just doesn't keep pace with the pace of change within the enterprise or, and, or there's no incentive for people to publish metadata about APIs to make it accessible. And so I, I was just writing a list from this week of other conversations I had where people were asking, well, we just want our gateway logs to tell us what APIs all exist out there and give us a, a an accurate snapshot because we don't know. Yeah. I would say sometimes the composition of uh, our teams uh, is a problem. And I can see some data-driven companies doing this dif differently. I think it starts with uh, us because we've got to start thinking how we can uh, leverage off the data that we are collecting. Because then you'll, uh, you know, you'll flip the coin and say, okay, this is something that your external developers would need to. So when I go, when I mentioned about composition, sometimes you need a data analyst or someone sit in the team if your product person or anyone else who's wearing a different hat in the team is not able to think about that because sometimes we, we slip, right? We've got to start thinking about how is this data going to be of value to our partners and our ecosystem because we all know APIs are a black box. We, we, it's, it's there, it's very easy to use, but beneath it, we don't, we, they don't know how we implement it, but there's a lot that we need to do. And the only lang common language that we speak between these two different um, types of software, if I may say, is this API language. And all that we can get out of it is the logs. But if you're not thinking about what is it that the logs are giving, it's ultimately data we then start to go take a step back and see that right throughout the development phase, how is it that we're going to start using the data? So sometimes when I work with my um, teams, what I, uh, what I tend to do, and this, is, this happens close, very, very much in the finance uh, industry, is we definitely need to audit and keep track of the data that we have mm -hmm. because of the security and various compliance standards that are in place. And so for us, we start looking at, you know, uh, data governance, data controls, everything. And so we start looking at what is it that is there in the logs for it. And that those conversations start happening with our partners too. That's actually our starting point for any conversation that we have is data for us because for FinTech, you can't, you can't, there is no, never a second chance. What happens if you lose, you know, you start divulging all your, um, uh, you know, um, sensitive data, right? What happens if your logs are going to have all this data? So those conversations happen early, depending on the industry. Uh, some, some industries where data isn't as sensitive as, say, uh, FinTech, I've seen that they're, they're more, they're more lax. They're not as concerned and so it's uh, typically the example that you mentioned you know it, it just sits yeah. there you're doing doing yeah. nothing so sh shifting gears to the the financial space and in the role of i would say fintech and apis and kind of changing this 
monolithic industry. Uh, and so what, what are the real, like honest, no BS motivations of, of the C-suite for a financial company, a large bank, an HSBC to make API, go API first, to make API change? Is it that regular, is it a regulatory argument? Is it a competitive profit driven? Like what's truly going to motivate them to do APIs well? Um, I think it's the security risk that comes with it and the standards that are put uh, that they'll have to adhere to, which come from different regulatory bodies. I think it's mainly compliance, which is why I think there is, uh, they've started, but there's hesitancy. Um, and I think different countries are mature in its own different ways. But I yeah. think the, the pattern across all is, you've got various standards set by different regulatory bodies, which means, okay, they, they'll start sitting, you know, the information has to be encrypted. You can't send this type of a field. You've got to, uh, you know, uh, um, remove certain fields which cannot be exposed. And then that changes the whole product and business conversation because, uh, you know, a use case is invalid if you do not send this information. Why aren't you sending this information? That's information is too sensitive because this regulatory body has a problem sending it and i think that's that's the problem fundamental problem because you've got to you can't have one set standard but you have different standards that you need to adhere to and there's that continual check that you need to do uh which slows us down a lot in fintech but that being said we can't get away with it so steps are being taken controls are being put in place standards are being set um but i think it is slow. We are getting there, but I think it is very slow. It will be long past before we um, recall, uh, I think, uh, that category of companies would call themselves as API first, mainly because of the regulations and the compliance that they'll have to adhere to. Yeah, I think it's interesting to watch European regulation kind of set the tone and then have it kind of echo out across the world. So Hong Kong, Australia, Brazil, like mm -hmm. others are emulating it. Um, I think the U.S. is doing its best job to act like it might be, could be, should be, but then we're not. So, like, we're doing regulatory theater, I think, right now when it comes to it. But it's interesting to watch how each uh, country or region kind of uh, pays yeah. attention and starts doing things. I'll definitely agree, agree there. I was lucky enough to, you know, uh, work across different countries, and I've also got a chance, you know, um, uh, you know, work with a few folks from Hong Kong, and I noticed the pattern there. They 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 are running at a faster pace um, than certain other uh, countries. I don't know whether there's um, uh, I don't know whether the the regulatory bodies are more stringent in trying to get things done quickly. Um, and because sometimes I've noticed for for Australia, I think the places that I've worked with. We do have set standards, but sometimes you get caught up in the process and that's what takes us time. Okay, so um, it's a combination of different factors. It's probably, a, in the US, it, all, it must be a different game. I, I'd probably like to hear what what is the reason that you see the US different from other countries? Is it that you do have uh, more stringent requirements? Is it the complexity in the FinTech world? 
What would you say? Um, the it's ideology. It's how America views reg regulations. So it's if you if you're you know I mean and, and the conservative view of of regulations and it mm -hmm. it's a bad thing and that's the default stance is regulations are bad. But if you at all work with business, you know like regulations are good and regulation and a lot of enterprise organizations depend on regulations propping up their industries exactly. and there's regulations comes in a lot of shapes and sizes and yeah. and then there's the privacy aspect of of regulation so gdpr and uh ccpa california's leading that so there's there's the interoperability and in standards and reuse part of regulation there's the privacy and then there's the um I would call it the automation of regulation or deregulation is like I worked on regulations.gov for, for the U S mm. government. And mm -hmm. so it's, how do you, how do you automate the, re, the informing and reporting of regulations? So it's automated using API. So those are the yeah. three spheres that I see regulation playing out. And mm -hmm. the U S is just unique in our view. Well, maybe not unique, but we're we're special in our view of of hating regulations and, and just believing it's bad. But it's kind of theater. It's not real. I don't know. It's weird. So on that, would I, I'd like to understand um, from the stakeholder point of view, going back to where we started, we, we were talking about APIs being IT driven. Where would what would you what would the balance be like uh, yeah, talking about the you know, still in the fintech space. Yeah, I mean, my view of APIs, and this isn't limited to fin financial, um, is there's it's a Venn diagram of three circles: the technology of APIs, the business of APIs, and then the politics of APIs. And like, I don't care how good your API design is, hypermedia, perfect, whatever. If you don't have a business model, mm -hmm. if you can't pay for it, like it doesn't matter. And then I don't care how much money you're making or whatever. Like I've seen, you know, like the Twitter API has been the politics yeah. of it and rate limits. Um, Facebook being investigated by the FTC right now for, you know, anti-competitive practices in their ecosystem. Because mm -hmm. once they bought Instagram, they started throttling and giving elevated error rates to the other image applications by their API. Mm -hmm. And so you start seeing those games playing. And so when it yeah. comes to financial, like, you know, you see it with PSD2 rollout is, yeah. well, hey, yeah, we're PSD2 compliant, but you can't find the documentation or figure Thank out how you. to onboard, you know, it's like, you know, really weird things like that. So it's like the, you know, and I say politics, but it's the games people play because I, yeah. I, I, I saw the potential of APIs early on and a lot of people say, yeah, we like APIs and we like interoperability. But the first lesson I learned is no, not everyone actually truly wants interoperability and and they want lock-in. And so it's it's an interesting game to try to understand. So if when you say not everyone likes, what is the fundamental reason? Is it like a lack of uh, knowledge on the potential that APIs bring? Or is it like, you know, um, we're not looking at you know the short term and the long term. We're just looking caught up with the problem and not seeing the future. In it. What would you say is the reason? I mean, I would say D all the above across that, but I would say first and foremost, people don't understand. A lot of people just meet think, oh, if I, it's a public API, making it publicly available. 
uh, I'm giving something away. I'm giving away, you know, unfettered access to all my digital resources and capabilities. And then, but then in the same motion, the same companies will be like, uh, well, we don't have any public APIs because of this reason. And then I can proxy and show them a list of all the APIs behind their mobile applications and web applications and everything. And, and they think those are somehow private APIs, you know, and they don't, so they don't understand the mech, the mechanisms of API management and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a known life cycle and a kind of producer consumer relationship and the, and the value of feedback loops, how much control you have over authentication and access control. And they don't understand all of that. So you see it as a um, back to the database to gateway analogy that I said earlier is this shift in power. They see gateways as a threat. They're giving away something or they're, they're yeah. getting, they're not going to make money off of it and they don't see the potential. So. Is there something that um, technical teams or engineering teams could do, or would you say it's uh, the composition of the teams that is, uh, adding to the problem should we have like a balance to like how do we get about uh, getting this knowledge out there yeah i mean it's right? that's that's it, our challenge yeah it depends on the the culture it depends on the the organization the industry how much lock-in there is how much it just really depends because some industries i've seen top-down CIO saying, hey, do API first. Here's all the learning, the knowledge, the education you need, the tools. We're going to enable you to do the right thing. Um, and that just works. And then I've seen that happen. And then everyone on the ground floor go, no way, we're not doing that. That's dumb, you know, that we're not going to do APIs. But then I've seen amazing bottom-up organic uh, engineer-led, you know, champions going, hey, Let's get an API lifecycle that's known. Let's you know advocate and evangelize. Let's start a center of excellence and let's come up with standards and all use the same version of Open API instead of Swagger and you know have contracts and share tests and have hackathons and stuff like that. So it's a mix, um, but you really it it takes evangelists. I mean, this is so I'm. Yeah. I'm the API evangelist. I'm the chief evangelist. It takes evangelizing. That's my belief system. So, Yes. And would you say to your role that it should start, would you advise starting, say, internally? Because sometimes I've noticed that you're talking about internal APIs and some teams are great at it, but some teams aren't even aware that we should be thinking about APIs for everything. Yeah. Right. So where would, uh, as a, as an evangelist, what would you do to say, ensure that it starts first with our own team, our own company? Yeah. Yeah. Start internal, start small, start, get little wins. Um, but it, it can't, API first for me, isn't just about producing APIs. It's about consuming APIs. And one easy one there is before you buy any new software or anything, you make sure it has an API first and then use that api to automate and make sure you're not locked into that vendor that's like a, a yeah. business level yeah. api first capability but yeah start internally start small because like the ugliest messes i've ever seen are companies who haven't really dealt with all their internal baggage and politics and drama and then yeah. start opening up public apis and kind of yeah 
open up the curtain to, you know, to the, to the audience a little bit more faster than it probably should be. And they weren't quite ready. And that, that can hurt, you know, that can make, yeah. you know, sh scare people away from doing it anymore. So you got to be careful. Yeah. 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 That becomes a problem. I've been with the uh, teams uh, where you, you, you end up in situations like that. And, uh, you know, the example where I mentioned saying that you had an, I had like a situation where our partners exploded with the num in terms of numbers. Uh, that, that's where I see there's a fundamental problem where it should have started internally before it actually, you start thinking of exposing publicly. But something that I wanted to um, go back to another question that you spoke about, you um, mentioned one of the problems is discoverability. Yeah, nobody knows where their APIs are. I don't care who exactly. you are. Every enterprise organization, every startup, like nobody knows where all their APIs are. And I mean, I've I've done all day consultant session with the internal revenue service in the United States, the IRS, and about their internal API strategy, nothing to do with their public. And they mm -hmm. don't know where any of their APIs are. They admittedly have problems with hoarding. So, mm -hmm. so I, another project I worked on, so this is very common in federal agencies. I, I worked for the Obama administration going around to, mm -hmm. uh, federal agencies, getting them to open up their public data assets in a machine readable mm -hmm. way. That was the mandate that mm -hmm. I worked on. And I was at the VA doing web service inventory. So finding whistles is all like what I did like four days out of the week, where are the whistles? And so you go around the Department of Veterans Affairs looking for WSDLs and mm -hmm. who's got all the, no one knows where WSDLs are except for Deloitte, the Deloitte staffer, <laughs> like all the contracting firms um, know where the WSDLs are and they have like a catalog and, and know mm -hmm. where, cause so it's hoarding, it's, it's digital yeah. hoarding. And you see that in web service environments within large yeah. enterprise organizations where budgets are associated with in the VA. Like if you have the authoritative record for the veteran, you're given a lion's mm -hmm. share of the budget. So ev of course, everyone's has an authoritative <laughs> record for the veteran because everyone, and then, so everyone kind of defends their world like that. So access to data, there's just a lot of illnesses that exist across organizations. So and then some there's there's organizations who don't have these illnesses. I've seen groups, I've had conversations where they, you know, 100-year-old company modernizes mm -hmm. their legacy infrastructure within like 5 years and they're running in the cloud and they're elastic and they're API first. They still have issues, but they're they don't have all those that legacy baggage. So Okay, so uh, what could we say is the problem? Is it that teams, product and engineering teams need to think about, say, uh, maintenance as part of our, you know, we, we've, we're done with our product development, that's it all, you're referring product as uh, APIs, but are you thinking that we should be looking at maintenance as well, where you're, you spoke about holding, is it like an accumulation due to legacy stuff, or is it something that you just done without putting too much thought into it, and we have never been looking at it as, you know, a cleanup work or tech debt or anything. Is is that is that the reason? Is it that you've done your written your API, you've all your results, uh, you've done everything and done, handover, finish, but we never go back and look at it 
as a yeah. part of you know the maintenance phase. Yeah, interesting question. I would there's a lot going on in there that are I would say that project based mentality that we talked about earlier, checkbox yeah. done. That's why the people who did the projects or had the contracts know where the whistles the whistles yeah. are. Um and uh so there's there's a whole mix, but there's I would say we have a lot of unhealthy um relationships with legacy technology in the space mm. where and not all legacy is bad. And if you think yeah. about the kind of the con the the notion of the word legacy. Like legacy doesn't yeah. always mean bad, like your yeah. legacy on this earth or whatever, you know, there's a lot of, yeah. and so like when you have, if you work in an organization, you do the legacy work, it's not as cool. It's not as sexy. It doesn't get as much budget. You want to do the, the front, the, you know, there's something yeah. about that, but some of these systems don't need to go away. Some of them need to go away. Um, and yeah. that process just needs to be healthier and more balanced and 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 have these feedback loops in these cycles because sometimes this stuff is important legacy is meaningful and we should keep it around and it works i mean if you look at like the unemployment system in the u.s when covid hit mm -hmm. you know they had a big oh no what are we gonna do like this is all written in cobol and uses you know ibm mainframes and they mm -hmm. just ended up training a bunch of young kids on how to do IBM mainframes in COBOL rather than like rewriting it in Node.js and microservices yeah. because it's what needed to happen. So I think it's, there's a lot of unhealthy views of what, of how and why we do technology. And it's just all in this big ball of yarn that we call the enterprise, you know? On that note, I think I'd like to take it really tactical. What do you think we should do? Should it start right at the bottom from the engineers where we build up a backlog of all this work and say, start from there? Or should it be the, from the top where we need to start educating everyone as to, it's not a handover, it's not a project because it ultimately goes down to your API strategy or should it start from the bottom? I mean, I mean, it it's, depends and it's both, but I would say leadership has, to, especially in large enterprise organizations and government agencies and higher ed institutions, they have to think longer term. And I think there's um, competing uh, incentive models and uh, reward systems in place within enterprises that reward short term thinking um, at leadership levels that aren't always in alignment with the business or the industry or what's needed. And that, I think that's why you end up with this ball of yarn that's twisted, you know, because it's of that, good. that imbalance that exists. And so you got to have longer term thinking back to the government example. Like when I worked in the government, people asked me, well, are you, are you a uh, government? Are you a G, G person? You know, are you staff or are you contractor? Or are you uh, like a political staffer? Because if you're a political staffer, you're there like two years or four years. If you're a government employee, you're there longer. If you're a contractor, you're there for a fixed period of time and then you're gone. And there's not a lot of knowledge transfer, capacity transfer. You're just, you just, you're there one day and you're gone. And I mean, I saw whole wings of offices just gone one day and empty for like a week and then filled with new bodies. And so this, this kind of long-term capacity um, mm -hmm. and 
in, in capacity building internally. Like who knows how these services work? They're not documented. You know, they're yeah. whistles. How do you find them? How do you sniff them out? How do you understand how this works? It's working and it supports all these systems. How do we not break that? You know, there's just a lot of uh, knowledge that needs to be shared and it's not always um, properly incentivized to be shared, I guess. So it's got to start top down and and have that long-term thinking or build a system for short-term thinking. You know, if you're just a pump and dump scheme for a stock, you know, yeah. like build, build APIs yeah. and do it appropriately, you know, so. Yeah, I guess it just comes down to, you know, what is it that is really uh, the vision for your company? And I think that would dictate what the strategy is and the ways of working um, with yeah. APIs, right? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you'd, otherwise you'd just go down the project route. Yeah. And, uh, and so strategy, you kept saying it, you got, it's got to be done strategically. It's got to be done more honestly. I don't think there's a lot yeah. of honesty in, in the API lifecycle in some organizations and others. There's, there's a lot and it pays off. Um, well, we're at 45 minutes, so this is much longer than most of the podcasts go, but it's been great having you ask me questions. Cause I love, I like somewhere around about 26, 27 minutes it's you started slowly asking me all the questions and and uh, that's that's funny I, I i i like that it's great thank you it is it is nice nice chatting with you because you've got like a well of knowledge behind you know and it's it's a nice combination because i come with product and engineering whereas there you yeah yeah the evangelists it is it's good to get you know different opinions yeah no i'm 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 i sat down i was telling latroy my my show show partner in crime here um this weekend i had the first time to kind of sit down and absorb all these conversations i'm having across breaking changes and then i have so i have like four or five breaking changes episodes a week that i'm recording kind mm -hmm. of building out an inventory i have four or five mm -hmm. enterprise customer conversations with with as part of my job and just every week i just these conversations have i learned so much and i don't always have time to like absorb it and so going yeah. back and Breaking this is a great thing about breaking breaking changes is these are recorded. There's a show transcript, and then I'm able to go back and like reread it. I write a blog post when it comes out, so I I do have that time to to absorb it and and my conversations with amazing smart people like you. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, this has been great. Thanks for for coming and and uh, and and this has been good. I I learned a lot. Thank you. Likewise, thanks. Thanks again to Rosemary for stopping by. For more about Rosemary, you can find her on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>